Welcome back to Seeing Life from a Different Angle. This is podcast number 10, and today the topic is abandonment. And I think I wanted to look at it from a variety of different angles today, because I know one of the things that we have spoken about in the past is the fear that our ego has, that part of us that helps us to deal with the world internally as well as externally, that fear that it has that it will be abandoned, and that it will not find the source of gratification that it once had. And I think in many ways, it lies at the core of so much of human behavior. That's part of the reason why it is that fear is such a powerful factor in our lives. But I think it's one of those things that, you know, guides us when we become afraid of not having what it is that we need, of not having the people in our lives who have given us those things that we need at a very primitive ego level, or as I heard recently from Bishop Barron at an ego drama level, you know, that that ego drama of not having someone there or the fear of not having someone there who can supply the things that we're looking for drives us perpetually. It's one of those types of things that pushes and pushes us and leads us to act in certain ways, sometimes healthy, more often than not, not healthy. And it drives us to act and relate to other people in ways that are ultimately destructive to our existence and to our relationships. I was listening to a podcast this morning about C.S. Lewis and uh, particularly about his idea or his notion of being people or men of the chest. And the person who was doing the podcast, I apologize, I do not recall his name at this particular point in time. He's a professor of English at some university in the United States. And he was talking about how Lewis had suffered that abandonment when he was a child. When he was nine, his mother passed away from cancer. And it led to his father becoming very cold and very distant and sending both C.S. Lewis, or as he called himself, Jack, at that time, and his brother, Warney, off to a boarding school where they were treated very, very harshly. But he still maintained his faith for a period of time until he was about 14 years old. And he lost his faith and became, for want of a better way to put it, a devout atheist. You and I have spoken, or at least I've spoken to you about the notion of where I believe atheism comes from, at least in part, which is that sense of anger at God because there is a part of us that feels like we're not getting what it is we need. So why would we believe in someone who's not there to give us what it is we need? And I really do think that a lot of Lewis's atheism probably came from that sense of abandonment by his mother. You know, after those moments, those types of events that occur in our lives, you know, it does powerfully affect our ability to function, our ability to believe that the things that we were getting from this other individual in our lives will ever be ours again, particularly when we're strongly connected to that person. I had this patient many years ago whose father died when she was eight years old. And it affected her adversely well into her 30s as she struggled trying to figure out how to fill that space, that emptiness. And I think that's one of the struggles that we do have. It's not just that we fear what it is we're losing. We fear that we're never going to fill that space again and it's never going to be the same. And 
There is no such thing as the same. Things change, of course, but it is something that powerfully affects us when we lose someone. That loss leads us to wonder, you know, whether or not we will ever find what it is we had before, whether we will ever find what it is we need. And in particular, at a very primitive ego level, you know, can I find the source of gratification emotionally or intellectually in a relationship sexually or erotically? Or can I be myself with other people ever again? And I think when we lose, and particularly when we've lost someone that matters a great deal to us, you know, when we lose a parent, especially as a child, you know, it is something that leaves this indelible mark in us that makes us wonder, you know, am I ever going to find these things again? You know, especially when it is someone who has been the most important person in our life. And there is no more important person in our lives as children than the parent who takes care of us. You know, if mom is there, mom is the most important. No matter how she treats us, no matter what she gives to us or doesn't give to us, one way or another, she allows us or helps to establish the status quo psychologically in us and sets up what it is that will be the foundation for all of our relationships to come. If our mother isn't there and our father is the one who raises us, then the same holds true. But one way or another, the parent has a powerful influence on the gratification of the ego of the child. So what happens when that child loses that parent? either through death or through abandonment, one way or another, it's always perceived as an abandonment by the ego. And so it stokes this fear. It stokes a fear that it takes two forms. One is that, you know, the person that I was getting this gratification from is gone, so will I ever get this gratification again? And two, am I worthy of getting this gratification again? Is that in part what it is that led to this abandonment by this person in my life? So in a way, we kind of screw ourselves, so to speak. You know, on the one hand, we're fearful of not having what it is we had. On the other hand, we're fearful that the things that we had are things that led this person to abandon us. But one way or another, we find ourselves in this place of fear. And so what do we do with that? I think it's one of those types of things that dictates for all of us so much of the paths that we choose in our lives, so much of the philosophy that we ascribe to, so much of the faith that we have or that we don't have. And I think it's important to consider the powerful effect that abandonment has on all of our lives. I believe for the ego and I believe for the functioning of a human being that there is no more powerful fear even the fear of destruction is a momentary thing. We may fear that something horrible is going to happen to us, that we're going to die in this crash, or that this plane is going to go down and we're going to pass away one way or another. But the thing of it is, is that once that moment passes, that fear gets pushed back into the unconscious again. Not that it doesn't have an effect upon us. It may guide us in the future. But for how long? It doesn't you know, seem to dwell or linger for a very, very long period of time. But abandonment does. And even though, you know, we may lose someone very close to us, and even though we may mourn for a period of time, 
whatever that period of time might be, whether it's weeks, months, or years, or even decades, you know, we tend to think or believe as if we're moving on in our lives. And yet the truth of it is that abandonment gnaws at us all the time because it is, as I say, something that leaves us with an empty space. You know, whether it is the death of a spouse or the death of a child or the death of a parent or the death of a friend, one way or another, that death, that abandonment, is an all-powerful thing that haunts us for years and years and years to come, if it ever lets go of us at all. I think in many ways, it does come to dictate all these important and significant things in our lives. Some of them healthy for us, some not. You know, we, we will tend by our very nature to find as often as quickly as we possibly can someone who will satisfy the status quo and replace that empty space or fill it in some way. And whether that's a person or whether that's a series of people or whether it is, you know, some type of object, you know, a new car or, you know, a new job or drugs or alcohol or any number of other things that we may turn to as a way of easing our minds or giving ourselves the illusion that everything is okay and that we're not abandoned anymore. You know, the number of patients I can see who over the years, once they've had a loss, will turn time and time and time again to other people in their lives in hopes that this person will be the one that was lost to them. And I think it's one of those types of things that we see as well when you know, someone who turns to their faith in a very powerful sort of way. You know, it's kind of like the, the dawn Catholic or the dawn Christian will say, someone who's just like, oh, you know, this is beautiful. I want to stay in this space forever. I want to love this space. This makes me so happy. But like Lewis talked about over and over again in many of his books, including Mere Christianity, it is one of those types of moments where we cannot linger in that space and remain a good Christian any more than we can remain, you know, someone who considers the thoughts, the needs, the values, and the morals of relating to other people. Because while it gratifies for the moment, we must remember it's for the moment. You know, and so the idea of turning toward anything, whether it is drugs or alcohol or going to the gym or reading books or, you know, going back to church or you know, or new relationships one way or another. Invariably, if we are seeking to fill an empty space, we're doing it for the wrong reasons. You know, I think when we think in particular about our religious faith, you know, I believe ultimately, as Lewis talks about, as Bishop Barron talks about as well, you know, that we are created, you know, we are made much like the painting is painted by Van Gogh, he created that painting. The sculptor builds a, builds a sculpture. These things are created as we are created by God. And as a byproduct of that, if we're going to turn toward our faith after a loss, it's something to really consider. Because as a creation that is made by God, it is not a moment of, ah, okay, good, everything's fine now. 
we're tempted to go there because it is very gratifying. As I say, being that dawn Christian and seeing the sunrise, you know, and feeling like everything's going to be okay is a very intoxicating feeling. But we also have crosses to bear. We have struggles to carry on with. We will be abandoned again. We will lose faith in our fellow man again. We will be heartbroken again and let down again. It's more a matter of this, I think. It's about moving closer to being Christ-like than it is about saying, okay, in this moment, I feel like someone's here with me. And I think that's the key. It isn't about recognizing that someone is here with me and filling this empty space. That happens. There is someone there with you. Christ is there with us. But it's not the same thing as saying, okay, Christ is with me and I'm moving toward him. He was always with you. And that's the reality. You know, he was always there. He didn't abandon you, as we talked about before when we talked about, you know, the patient of mine who turned away from God because he was so focused on the things of the world and how to deal with the conflicts and the worries and the fears and the trepidations of his life that his eyes turned in the different direction from God. But God's never swayed from him. He always, God always looked at him. And the same way, when God comes back into our lives, it isn't that God is coming to us, but we're allowing God back and we're moving back toward him. Our eyes have shifted direction. And it's important, I think, to recognize that it isn't an easy process, but it does fill the space in a way that can be lifelong if we keep working toward that position with God, not moving away from it or not being only pleased when things are going well in the moment, but always moving toward that. You know, it's kind of like saying I am heading toward the light perpetually. You know, I'm not talking about the light that people will talk about when they believe that they have died and come back, but truly the light that warms us, the light of love, the light that shines upon us on a perpetual basis. It's always been there. We just turn our backs to it. You know, in those moments when we have been abandoned by the people that matter in our lives, you know, we tend to be, if we're turning toward our faith, warmed by the rising sun, warmed by that feeling that, ah, something behind me is making me feel good, making me feel whole, making me feel satisfied. But it's not the same thing as turning around and saying, you know, God, I'm back. I am heading toward you as difficult as it may be because I have been heading in the wrong direction for a very long period of time or I've turned my back on you a long time ago. You know, but it's about being able to say, you know, I'm heading towards something or someone that never really abandoned me. And so I guess this is the key here. What is abandonment? Abandonment ultimately is this. Abandonment comes about when the ego recognizes that we are being deprived or have found ourselves in a state of deprivation where our ego needs do not matter or are not going to be gratified or are not going to be gratified by the person that once gratified them in the ways that we believed we needed. Some, to some degree, they can be healthy gratifications. In other ways, they may not be healthy gratifications. But one way or another, we 
have this empty space now. And so we as human beings, in an attempt to ease the tension that exists inside of us, will turn toward any number of artificial pleasures, any number of fantasized pleasures, and even the illusion that we have found our faith again and that everything is going to be okay. I read this week about this group of teenagers, you know, that we're talking about that 80% of teenagers now are saying that they have turned back toward their faith as a byproduct of the COVID experience. And the thought that entered my mind was a sad one, a cynical one, perhaps, but sad nonetheless, that, you know, do they turning back to their faith because they feel abandoned by a world, adults, truthfully, who are so afraid themselves for their own well-being that they have turned their eyes from their children or they have made their children more afraid, sadly, because they're afraid. You know, they don't want to send their kids to school. They don't want to take the risks. They don't want to bring their kids out in public. They don't want to do anything that might harm their children and bring harm to themselves. And I think that's key. And so these kids feel abandoned by their parents. They feel abandoned by a world that was supposed to make sense. They feel abandoned by principals and teachers and adults of all sorts that they believed one time would take care of them or believed at one time would take care of them and would be there for them. And so they abandoned these responsibilities. At least that's what the kids feel. They've, aban they've been abandoned. And so they turn toward their faith. But the question then entered my mind, will that continue? Will they stay in that space? Or are they using God to fill a space? Because it's a natural human part of the ego drama. Again, to steal the words from Bishop Barron, part of the ego drama that says, I need to focus on what it is I need to do to take care of myself and protect myself. That subjective perspective on life. And so if God is part of that, if you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, any number of other things are part of that. I'll do almost anything to ease my mind. We can't deny in many ways that we're all like heroin addicts. And this regard is that something that will ease my mind, you know, I will find it, I will use it, I will find that gratification, and I will breathe a sigh of relief for as long as it lasts. And then immediately I feel the sense of jonesing again. I need something now. I need something that will make me feel better. And so, you know, for those who, you know, turn toward drugs or alcohol or sex or going to the gym or any number of other types of activities or even their faith, we must be realizing that these things are not going to fill that space. They're not going to fill it for long. Nothing will. No other person is going to fill that space. I do hope that anyone who is abandoned will find someone in their lives that treats them with love and respect and caring and kindness and hopefully challenges their status quo. That says, okay, you deserve better than what it is you've been getting and I want to give that to you. And I hope for your sake that you're willing to take the risk of letting me give that to you. I think it goes back as well to the idea and the concept and the importance of God in our lives. You know, who better to love 
who it is and what it is he has created than God. You know, when you think about Van Gogh's work, for instance, I'm a huge Van Gogh fan and I love his work. And I think about the fact that did he love his work? He didn't get rid of anything. You know, he kept his paintings and, you know, he may or may not have felt like they were wonderful, but I suspect he did. I suspect he felt love for them because he created them. And if a human being can feel that depth of love for what it is he creates and lingers in that space and holds on to that, then why would God not love and value us? He's not asking for us to be anything other than who we really are. Like we've talked about, one of the important, significant gateway needs to all of our ego needs, the one, one of the ones that we are born with, or our ego develops with from the very beginning, is the need to be genuinely ourselves. And who can be more genuinely ourselves, or who can accept that more than God? Who can say to us, you know, I love you for who you are, I always have more than God. There is no one. And the truth of it is, there's only one being in this world who has never abandoned us and who never will abandon us. And that is God. You know, it's fascinating when we look at mythology. And mythology has all these different gods, these Norse gods or these Greek gods, or these Roman gods or these uh, Hindu gods or any number of other gods. The difference with all these faiths, we'll call them, and the Christian faith, or the Jewish faith, is this, is that for all these other faiths, God is this overpowering, fear-provoking, fear-invoking being, and who has jealousy and rage and frustration and all the human experiences, all the human emotions, all the human avarices. And yet it's fascinating because the one faith that does not have a God that way is the two faiths, is the Christian faith and the Jewish faith. Because we, in those faiths, move toward God who values us versus hiding ourselves away from a God who is going to be vengeful and angry toward us. And it's fascinating because when you look at the Old Testament, you would swear the opposite is true. You would swear that this God is angry and rageful and violent and abusive. But I contend this, I contend that this God is one of the reasons why it is that Christ spoke so often and so freely about love. It's because he was saying, you're wrong. You made a mistake. You are the ones that are fear provoked, not by God, but by your own sense of abandonment. You know, and so therefore, when you fear losing God, it's not God turning his back on you. It's you turning your back on God. When you want to destroy your enemies, that's not how God works. God isn't someone who just says, okay, tell me who you want me to kill, or tell me that you want to win this race and I'll make sure everybody else loses. It doesn't work that way. Because God is about love. God is love. And so it's not something or a circumstance where you can say, you know, I fear this being who's going to destroy me. Indeed, God will not abandon you. God will not move away from you. God is not seeking to destroy you. It is we as human beings struggling with that ego drama, struggling with our fear of being abandoned, 
that move away from God. And it's not that there is no better time than Christmas time to think about this. So I think this is something we should think about all the time. But I do think this is that when we think about Advent and about Christ coming amongst us, I hope that we do not forget that it is not something that stops when Christmas comes. It is not something that halts when Christmas season is over. We hear it all the time. You know, we should keep Christ in Christmas. We should also live as if every day were Christmas. But remember that the reason we're so excited about Christmas more often than not at a very human level is because we feel empty. And this time of year makes us feel less empty. But I think it's more important to be able to recognize that we really are not empty in relationship to God. We're only empty in relationship to human beings. And so it's important in these moments to consider, you know, do I want to live a life full of abandonment, full of fear, full of trepidation? Or do I want to move closer to God because I know that God will always be there with me? God has always been there with me and will always be. Be well.